Well, it's so good to see all of you today, especially if you're a guest. I'm David, and I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest, anything we have going on, you're welcome uh, to be a part of if it fits you in any way. I, uh, I'm excited. We're in a, in a series entitled Breakthrough, as you saw uh, up on the screen. It's really a, a series through the, the Gospel of Mark. Mark was written about 58, 60 A.D., right in there. Um, primarily wrote to Gentiles, so anyone, obviously Jews, anyone could benefit from it, but that was his primary audience. And it's a pretty good chance the information he got, as I shared with you earlier, is from, from Peter. Uh, if you read the Gospel of Mark, and hopefully if you've been here the last few weeks, you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, maybe you've read it already, it, it has very much the idea of, of a firsthand personal account. But not only that, the early church fathers said Mark got his information from Peter. And what we need to see in the Gospel of Mark, which I think is really going to be helpful to us, is this, that writing to a primarily Gentile audience, Mark's account of the life of Jesus provided a breakthrough for people who knew nothing of the God who loved them. People, so many people back then, especially Gentiles, obviously, didn't know anything about God who loved them. Today, there are people who don't know anything about the God who loves them. Mark is, for them, is for us, but we have this chance to help them understand something about God. This is the third in our series uh, entitled Breakthrough. And the sermon today is in Mark, in, in the chapter 2, the first part of chapter 3, breaking out of a religious system. About the need to break out of a system that can find and trap people. And so what I want you to see today is that Jesus came to provide an authentic way to God in doing so. He broke away from all religious systems. He broke away from all of them, especially the Jewish system. So I want to begin today talking about uh, a new way, a, a new way. And, and to kind of understand that, when we've been in Mark, the first chapter, we saw the basic message of Jesus and the call of Jesus. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow me, he said. And that's what Christianity is, is to repent and believe the gospel and then to follow Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what we do. And, uh, you know, the, the disciples, you know, we saw follow Peter and Andrew and James and John. But a lot of people, they, they follow Jesus, but not in the sense of a disciple, not in, in, in the true legitimate sense. They follow Jesus to see what Jesus could do for them. Because Jesus did these phenomenal miracles. And, and, and he didn't come to do miracles. But if someone needed healing, needed helping, Jesus was going to do that. We ended last week with him healing and cleansing a leper. Who, who, you know, leprosy was walking death. If you had leprosy, you had no hope. And yet he, he cleansed this guy. It was a miracle, a miracle short of raising the dead. You couldn't do anything greater. And people followed, but they didn't follow him because he was a savior. They followed him thinking, if he can cleanse a leper, what can he do for me? Now, when, when you come into chapter two, and Mark didn't write in chapters, but when you come in this sex section, what you begin to see, it comes up is a fundamental conflict. A conflict that dominates so much of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is conflicts with the group of people called the Pharisees. And I'll talk about the Pharisees more in a few minutes. But they're a religious group that arose between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. Now, in chapter 2 begins, Jesus heals a man who's a paralytic. Basically, we understand his back was broken. And it, 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 it is impossible, but he did it. And in doing so, he causes conflict, not because he healed, but because the first thing he said to this man, he said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, uh, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, yeah, I mean, the Son of Man, to show that he has the power to forgive, had this guy rise up and walk. And it begins the conflict. And that, that story is critical 
in the ministry of Jesus. I'm not going to talk about that story today, but I want you to know this. At the very end of the series, after we've done the resurrection and all of that on Easter, I'm coming back to that story because it is, it is a monumental moment in the ministry of Jesus. From that, Peter told Mark, you know, we went and we started collecting more people. They went to this guy. He was a tax collector named Levi. Knew him as Matthew. He followed us. We went into the home of Matthew, and this was amazing. Mark, you're not going to believe it. We began to eat with Matthew's friends, which were all tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees were shocked and amazed and appalled that he would eat with sinners. And Jesus made the statement. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the Pharisees thought they were righteous because of their good works. They were self-righteous. They weren't right in the eyes of God, of course, but they had this self-righteousness. And Jesus is basically saying that Pharisees, by your own standard, I haven't come for you. I came for them. Now, not that you guys over here are sinners, but you are, but not any more than them. A couple of you, maybe. A little sketchy. I didn't come for you. I, I came for them. And then Jesus was confronted not only by the, the Pharisees, but by the disciples of John the Baptist, of all people, asking, why don't you, why don't you guys fast? And fasting was, was important. Why don't you guys fast? And Jesus said, when you have a big celebration like a wedding, do you fast? Do you fast at times of rejoicing? Son of man, Jesus is here. It's time to rejoice. And then he, he ended that little time with him telling these two little stories, little parables. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on another garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, and the new from the old, and you have a worse tear results. And then in verse 22, he says this, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost in the skins as well. No one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. You know, I, I remember as a kid, I, I would tear my jeans all the time. My mom gets so mad, because I was always tearing jeans. And you patch them up, you know. And, you know, and I tear shirts. I remember one time I went off to school, brand new shirt. She says, do not tear your shirt. I came home, two buttons gone, man. She was so mad because we just went, we played. And, and, and you would you rip your jeans, and eventually you just cut them off. That's how we got cut off. We were too cheap to go buy jeans, shorts. We just cut them off and had them frayed and all that. But you'd have the you'd have patches. Nowadays, you guys, you look for that. I don't understand. Some of you young people, you buy jeans that are already torn up. I don't understand that. I guess I get it, but you pay extra for that. Bring them to me. I'll do it for a lot less. And some, and I, but listen, some of you, it gets to a point where you're too old to wear them, okay? Some people get too old. I see them. If, when you wear those cut jeans, if they show wrinkles or varicose veins, don't wear those things. All right? It's just gross. They're not good out. Back then, Somebody ever looking at other people? I didn't know, but you did. You looked at some people over here. You looked at a couple people. They're like, that's you, honey. Back then, they didn't have synthetic clothes. So you had leather, you had wool or whatever, and if it tore, I mean, it would always shrink. Clothes shrunk. I trust me, my clothes shrink after every washing. I don't know what happens. The clothes shrink. And so if they would patch them, they couldn't get a brand new piece of cloth because you put a brand new piece of cloth on there. As soon as it shrunk, it would just rip the rest of it up. And, and when, when you got wine, I know nothing about wine and the wine process. I, whenever I want to learn anything about wine, I go to some of my deacons and they share with that with me. But <laughs> you, when, back then, when you took brand new grape juice and you put it into new wine skins, evidently in the fermentation process, so I'm telling them, I'm not an expert, so don't correct me because you know the right way, I'm not impressed. The, the, the fermentation, there would be gases and it would expand out the wine skin. And it would stretch it. Then when you would drink it, it would be there. But you didn't take new grape juice and put it in there because then it would burst the wine. 
it bursts the skin, and you lose the skin, and you lose the wine. See, you don't take what is old and fix it with something new. And you don't take what is new and put it into something old. And the Pharisees, their way was old. You see, it's, it's not that there was anything wrong with the Old Testament, what they call the Scriptures. See, when, when, when Abraham, you know, Genesis chapter 12, there's Abraham, he's a pagan. By the grace of God, he calls Abraham. By grace, pure grace. And Abraham believes and trusts God, pure faith. God provided the grace and the opportunity for faith. And when Abraham had the opportunity of the faith, God provided, he took it. That, there, that was, he was righteous. He was right in the eyes of God. He didn't do anything to earn that. And God said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. And eventually what he meant was, there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come and save, provide salvation for the world. But in the meantime, because that's 1,900 years away, there's going to be your descendants. And your descendants are kind of the, the, the keepers of the faith. And that was the Jewish people. And then several hundred years later, when they come out of Egypt, you know, they're, they're God's people. And God has said, this is, I'm going to give you ten commandments. And some other laws that go with them, but ten commandments. And those ten commandments were never given so that knew how to be God's people. The ten commandments weren't so that you can come to God. The ten commandments were given because you already belong to God. And this is how I expect you to live. And in the meantime, at the time when the Old Testament ends, about 450 years before Christ, this group comes up with the Pharisees. There were two main religious groups, the Sadducees connected with the temple. We'll deal with them later. But the Pharisees came up. There were thousands of Pharisees. They were everywhere. And they took the fundamental laws, the Ten Commandments, and those extra laws that were in there, about 613. And they created hundreds, if not thousands, of rules and regulations and laws and traditions that were theirs. And they said, you got to keep and follow this. And here's what happened. The law went from being a way to help connect us to God, the objective being the worship of God. They went from helping us to worship and follow God. The law became the objective. The law became the purpose. And it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. It was all the laws they created in their system. And that system was the old, and Jesus was the new. And they had a conflict. Here's the thing. The clash between the old and the new pointed to a larger battle that lay ahead. After verse 22, some time passes. In John chapter 5, we know that Jesus went back to Jerusalem again, and he healed a guy on the Sabbath. I can just see Peter saying, Mark, you got to get this. You would not believe what began to happen because of the Pharisees. They followed us everywhere. Everywhere you went, there were Pharisees looking and looking and looking. And what you have next, what I want you to see, is the battle for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was so important. Now, in the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 20, I mean, Numbers chapter 20, verse 8, says this. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. The remember means not just to come to mind, but, but it, it, it's like follow it, connect with it. It's important. Celebrate it. Keep it holy. Holy is separate. It's a special day. Why was it special? Well, you work with God. You, you worship God. And then as he explains in, in, in Numbers chapter 20 what goes on, it's not just that you worship God, but God created everything in six days and then he rested. You guys don't need to work every day of your life. You need a day of rest, a day to be with family, a day to celebrate 
a day to worship. The Sabbath was a day of freedom, free from work, free to worship God. Now, in Jewish life, there were really kind of poor four pillars of what really made Judaism Jewish, and especially when they had their system. It was the temple, it was the scriptures, it was the traditions, and it was the Sabbath. Now, pagans had three of those. Pagans had tradition, they had the temple, and they had scriptures. But pagans had no Sabbath. I mean, the Sabbath was so unique. And, and what happened is they took this one commandment to free you, and they created 39 different sets of things you could or couldn't do that were work-related on the Sabbath. And that 39 was divided into hundreds of subsets. For instance, on the Sabbath, you couldn't pluck out a gray hair. Some of you were all right today. You didn't do that. Some of you, you worked a whole lot before you came to church today, plucking out gray hair. You, you, couldn't, if you, you couldn't heal anybody on the Sabbath. So if you had a sore throat, you couldn't take anything for it. Now, if by chance, in the course of eating Sabbath meal, you had a little oil, or you took a little honey, and it helps your throat. Well, that's okay. I mean, it's just, it's just bizarre. It was just weird. And so Mark recounts a story that Peter told him. I can just see Peter saying, Mark, you're not going to believe this. Let me tell you what happened. And it happened. He, as Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, when, when you walk through the grain fields, you know, we, we've all probably seen grain fields, highways and roads through them. They didn't have a lot of road roads, but they would have paths. And paths could go through the grain fields, and you could just, there would be grain right there. And Deuteronomy 23 says that you need to let people, if they're walking through your grain fields, if they pick a little bit of the grain, that's okay. You know, they can't harvest it, they can't steal it, but just pick a little bit because they're hungry. That's fine. And so they were passing through the grain fields. It was a Sabbath day, and his disciples began to make their way along. And they were picking the heads of the grain. That's all right. According to Deuteronomy 23. But the Pharisees were saying to them, because the Pharisees were tagging along, looking for trouble. Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, it was lawful to take the grain. But the Pharisees said, but not on the Sabbath. Well, that's working. In fact, they broke three laws. Three of the Pharisees' laws were broken. They, they harvested, they took the grain. And then the second thing they did was they began threshing when you would rub it together to separate the kernel from the wheat. If you've ever eaten raw wheat, which none of you, but a few of you have done, probably one or two of you have done that because I grew up in the Depression, whatever. <laughs> that was when I didn't filter, Deb. That was when I didn't filter and I should have. And then that was one, and then they would blow it away. That was called winnowing. They'd blow it out. They broke three rules. Three. It's crazy. So Jesus said this to them, verse 25. He said, have you never read what David did when he was in need and his companions became hungry? And this references to 1 Samuel chapter 21. Can't go into detail. In chapter 20, Saul's son, King Saul, his son, Jonathan, said, David, you got to flee. Saul, my daddy's trying to kill you. So he flees. He doesn't have my, takes his guys with him. Doesn't have any really food or weapons to go to the tabernacle where the priests were in Nob. And they were hungry. So he goes up there. And he says, how he entered the house of God, the tabernacle, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. Now, if you read over there later today, Abiathar is not technically the high priest. It's his daddy, Ahimelech. And so sometimes, well, Mark made a mistake. And there's error in Scripture. No, you have to understand. They didn't write back then in chapters. We added that. But they would oftentimes reference sections. Now, Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, is all one big thing to them. Okay, it's just one mindset to them. And if you ever go, for instance, in Mark chapter 26, verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus is talking 
you know, about to the Sadducees that begin to question him. And he says, back in the part of Scripture with the dealing with the burning bush, God spoke to Abraham and said, I am the God of Abraham. I spoke to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, back in that section. That's really all he's saying. Back in the section dealing with the whole I Abiathar when he was high priest, back in that part. He ate the consecrated bread. That was the bread set aside for the priest. He said, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. They broke the law. You, but you guys don't have a problem with that. Nobody had a problem with that. Everything was okay. He also gave it to those who were with him. Without going into the details of why he did it, which you don't have time, he's saying David ate what was sacred. King David broke the law. And then he says something amazing. I can just see Peter telling, Mark, Mark, listen to this. This is what Jesus said. This is amazing. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Do you know why God gave the Sabbath? So we could rest. It's for us. And we could worship and celebrate. He wrote it so we could have some freedom. And you've taken the Sabbath, and you've made it a burden and a system. And if that wasn't enough, then Jesus says this, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Son of Man. He references himself that way. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 2, when he healed the paralytic, he says, so that you might know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. I say, take up your mat and walk. Here he says, the Son of Man, again, everybody back then understood. It was a reference primarily from Daniel. The Son of Man was speaking about the Messiah. I I read sometimes, and I hear people today say, you know, Jesus never said he was actually the Messiah. I'm like, do you ever read the New Testament? Do you ever read, there's these four books that tell the story of Jesus. And all through that, he may never say, Look at me, I am the Messiah. But all through that, he tells them he's the Messiah. Everybody understood that. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, listen, I am the Lord. I am the God of Messiah, of the Sabbath. Not you. You don't make the rules of the Sabbath. I make the rules of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is freedom. So that people could worship God. And if you're a Gentile and you're reading this, you're like, yeah, I don't want to be Jewish. I don't want to come to Jesus so I can be Jewish. I don't want all that Jewish stuff. I just want to be set free. And Jesus did that. You see, you know what the Pharisees had done? They'd taken that which sets you free and they used it to put you in prison to their self-righteous rules and regulations. And Jesus came to free us from the prison of sin and its systems. Jesus came to set us free from the prison of sin and all its systems. So you have a new way. Then you have the battle of the Sabbath, which leads us then to the third thing I want to share with you, which is the line in the sand. 
You ever heard that phrase? He drew a line in the sand. That line you're not going to cross. And, you know, grew up in San Antonio, the Alamo. There's a story about the Alamo. Barrett, you know, William Travis drawing the line in the sand. It goes back 168 B.C. I think it's Leonidas, the Roman general fighting Antiochus IV. They're about to do battle. It draws a line around him. This is, the idea of a line in the sand is this is as far as I go. And the Sabbath was the line in the sand. The other day, in, in, in um, January, I read through the book of Proverbs every day. Today is the, what's today, 16, so I'll be Proverbs 16. On the third, I was reading from Proverbs 3.27. This is what Solomon said. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. When you can do help someone, help them. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived except for Jesus. And if you completely discount the fact that he had 600 wives and 300 concubines. You've got to discount that fact. If, if a man with 600 wives and 300 concubines is the wisest man who ever lived, that doesn't say much for the rest of us at all. I mean, it's the wife. Here's what he said. You can help someone, you better help them. Keep that in mind. Because we're going to see another story. And I'm going to see Peter saying, listen, Mark, let me tell you what happened. A few Sabbaths after that, you're not going to believe this. This is when it all came to a head. He entered again. Into a synagogue, Jesus did. And the man was there whose hand was withered. His withered means, it, withered means dried up, but what it means, it was just, it was deformed somehow. He wasn't born that way, it just happened. We don't know if this guy was normally in this synagogue or, or if the you know, Pharisees brought him to test because the Pharisees are all over the place. Verse 2 says they were watching him. They were watching Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now I want you to get this. They were watching him to see if he would heal because they already knew he could heal. You get this, right? They had no question. Jesus healed people. I mean, he was real. They had other people that pretended to heal. They had all sorts of charlatans and fake healers. There were plenty of Benny Hens before Benny Hen ever came into this world. I'm going to tell you that right now. And they were back then. They all knew he could. He had healed so many people. He healed a guy who was a zombie, who had walking death, a leper. Healed him. And they weren't impressed with that. He could heal them. You would think they would be flocking to him, the Pharisees. You've got to be the Messiah. You can heal. No, 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 no. They wanted to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Why? So they might accuse him. They wanted to get him. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, get up, come here. Come get up, come forward. Come into the, and the synagogue could be kind of almost circular, come into the middle of everybody. In verse 4, he said to them, that is the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? Now understand, everybody knew that on the Sabbath it was okay to save a life because that was written in the, in, in the Word of God. So no, no Pharisee was going to argue with that. But you had to define you know, what, what, would, what would make someone eligible to be healed because their life is in danger. They, didn't, you know, the, the, this, they would have never brought a paralytic there because even though his life ain't about being in danger, that was too close to the edge. They weren't taking that chance to him with the high fever. No, they just got a guy with just a, a withered hand. No big deal unless you were the guy with the withered hand, right? Every surgery is minor unless it's on you. Right? And so he says... Is it okay to do, save a life or to kill? Well, they all knew it was okay to save a life, but he, he took it one step farther. But what about, what about, what about, is it lawful? Not according to your law, but just to God. 
Is it lawful, because he wasn't referencing their laws, to do good or to do harm? I mean, if you can save a life, can't you go ahead and do good? I mean, if you have the power to do good, is it okay to do good? They kept silent because there was no way for them to answer that question. And in their silence, verse 5 tells us that after looking at them with anger, the word is wrath, it's okay to be angry. Don't sin. Don't be angry for selfish reasons. If injustice, if what is wrong, if sin makes you angry, that's understandable. Don't sin in your anger. That's not it. But, but it's okay for a righteous cause to have anger. But he was also grieved or saddened at the hardness of their heart. The heart had become callous. The heart had become hard. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And notice, Jesus didn't touch him. Jesus didn't take a little saliva like he did with the blind man and touched the blind man. He didn't take a little saliva and touch that. He didn't do what he did with the leper we saw last week. He didn't put his hand on him. He didn't touch him. He just stretched his hand out. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. He went back the way it was. Jesus didn't do anything now. He didn't work. So just, just to be on the safe side, for the Pharisees' sake, he didn't do any work. He just said, hey, stretch your hand out. And he stretched his hand out. And at the word of Jesus, his hand was restored. And verse 6 says this. The Pharisees went out immediately. They left worship. They didn't care anymore about worship. And they'd been conspiring with the Herodians. The Herodians were another group. It doesn't matter. They were a small group who wanted to see the Herods back in charge and all that. And normally the Pharisees and Herodians can stand each other. But they went out to conspire against him. How they might. Destroy him. Kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because he broke their system. That's all there is to it. People make it so hard in their systems to come to God. It was always a problem in the New Testament. I mean, when, when Gentiles began to come to Christ, there were Jewish people who were believers, and they said, hey, the Gentiles need to become Jewish. They need to be circumcised, follow our law. And what what you need to understand is if you were born Jewish, even as a Christian, if you were born Jewish, to be circumcised was no big deal. That was your culture. That's who you are. That's like a, a, that's like a Baptist, you know, growing up, going to VBS and having potlucks, you know. That's just who we are, you know. And, and, and you'd be circumcised and keep, keep some of the, the dietary laws. That was okay. But if you were a Gentile, no, that wasn't, it wasn't your way of life. And the Gentiles were like, we're not going to be circumcised. We don't want to become Jewish. And Paul, when that occurred in Acts 15, Paul was bringing Gentiles. I mean, Christianity was changing from being Jewish to Gentile in a short period of time. He went down to Jerusalem with Barnabas. He got Peter. He, they were on the same page. They went to James, the brother of Jesus, who at that point was head of the church in Jerusalem, and said, you can't make Jew Gentiles become Jews. And Peter, I mean, James said, I agree. And so in, in Acts 15, 19, James said this to all his church people. Hey, listen, it's my opinion. Quit making it hard for Gentiles to come to Jesus. We're making it hard for people to come to Christ. Systems make it hard, if not impossible, to come to Jesus. We can never make it difficult for people to follow Jesus because Jesus didn't. You realize that, right? Jesus didn't make it difficult for people to follow him. Phariseeism was a broken old system. Jesus didn't come to fix that system. In fact, Jesus didn't come to repair the Jewish religious system at all. He came to replace it completely with the way God always 
intended it to be. Repent, believe, and follow. You know, if we're not careful, we create systems. Baptists, we create systems. I remember growing up, man, as a, you know, in, the, in the good Southern Baptist church, it had to be somewhere Sunday morning, it had to be somewhere Sunday night, it had to be somewhere Wednesday night. I had, they made me sing in the choir, and I'm horrible at singing. They made me do all these things, take all these offerings, give this up, even as a pastor. I can't, all the denominational stuff they want us to do, and if it's a pastor, you don't do it, they say, how come you don't do all this stuff? Because I don't care to. I don't need to. We got to quit worrying about systems. And I mean, Pentecostals have systems. Reformed churches, oh my goodness, they're nothing but a system. Catholics, you know, got all the sacraments. The progressive liberal Christianity, which is hard to even call Christian at all, they have all their system of things this week. You've got to believe this or that and accept them or this group, and then it changes the next week. Atheists have a system. All the relative wokeness is nothing but one big system. Islam is a system. Eastern religions are systems. And systems trap us and confine us in sin. Understand this. Man-made systems. Keep us trapped in sin. And Jesus came to break us out of those systems and free us from sin. Mark could write this, record the words of Peter. He could say, they followed us everywhere. And Jesus kept breaking their system. I began the message Reminding that Jesus came to give us an authentic way to God. But in our sin, we're surrounded in sin. And we're trapped and we can't come to God because of us. And we keep trying to find some system to help us and no system can. Because all the system do is will trap you in your sin. So let me ask you this question. What system has you trapped? What system today has you trapped? You can break free because of Jesus if you will repent and believe and follow. It is my prayer for you that sometime over the next few weeks and months, as we're in this series in Mark, that if you are trapped in a system, you will find the freedom to break away through faith in Christ by following him. But it's possible you might want to do that today. And so if you want today to break out of the system of sin, that has you trapped, you can do that right now. In just a moment, we'll be standing here, and if you want to come and say, I want to give my life to Christ, you can. Ladies, if you'd like to talk to another woman, there'll be at least one woman standing here. You can do that. Listen, if you want to pray for someone you know who needs Jesus and is trapped in a system, you can. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're free, but you keep falling back into some silly system, you can come and we'll pray for you. We'll pray for whatever you want. You can join our church. Listen, I don't know what you need to do today, but understand this. You can have a breakthrough. And you can break out of the systems that enslave you. If you will but repent, trust Jesus and follow him. So Lord, we thank you that you provide a way out of all of the sin, all of those trappings, all of that that confines us. And you set us free in Jesus Christ. God, help us to be free. Help us to repent, to believe, to follow, and to break out and break through all of the man-made systems that enslave us. God, help us to do it so that we can be right with you 
and we can be free to worship and to serve and to celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Would you rise? You come. We'll be here.